So on uh, my sabbatical break, we spent a fair bit of time in Seattle, and I find myself standing on a street corner in Seattle watching a guy with a great big sign that says, God loves you. I thought, that's cool, right? He's just standing on the corner waving at people. Why you'd put that on a sign? I don't know, but that's cool that he would want to do that. And everything is going well, waving to people as they're going by. God loves you until somebody clips the corner with their car. Admittedly, they got too close to his toes, and that's when everything changed. He drops the sign and begins to chase the car down the street. Yelling at the top of his lungs, profanity, you blankety blank, 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 you just about took off my blankety blank, blank toes. Tries to kick the car as it's going by. The car escapes, and he walks back and picks up his sign and starts waving at people. You know, what got me was not what happened with the sign guy. It's what happened with the guy who was standing right next to me watching the whole drama because he said one word, typical. And my heart broke in that second. What is that? What causes a God-loving sign holder to turn into a cursing car chaser? What is it that flips the switch so quickly that makes people respond, typical? Have you ever wondered what is it that allows a man of God to be on his knees praying and be focusing on Jesus and a second later have his mind be transformed into an X-rated movie theater? What is it that allows a daughter of God who knows who her spiritual father is in an instant to go from knowing that God loves her to taking a razor blade and punishing herself, inflicting pain on her own body because she somehow believes that she deserves that. What allows a person who knows what the Bible says about judgment to walk around and hand out scorecards to people who are just as insecure as they are? What is it that allows a person to flip the switch of their faith on on Sunday and walk around the building with their plastic smile and their big Bible saying hallelujah to everybody that hears them. What is it that allows them to do that on Sunday? They get to Friday off. What is it that renders a bold follower of Jesus absolutely mute in the business world? What is it that allows a godly woman, this is for both genders, but what is it that allows a godly woman who reads in the morning, opens up her Bible and says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then they spend the rest of the day or at least a chunk of the evening with their fingers dripping with gossip and drama and trauma as they type into this thing called Facebook that I'm now a part of. Sorry, Jesus. And it allows them to go on there and they're commenting on this and defriending this person and just stirring the pot. Where does that come from? You know, James, the brother of Jesus, wondered exactly the same thing. James chapter 3, the Bible says this in verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Underline this next phrase. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. And then he asks two questions. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? You know, it's a funny. In Scripture, Scripture asks us questions and very often do we ever wait for an answer. Can we answer James's questions? 
The answer is no. No, fresh water and salt water can't come out of the same spring. A tree that bears a certain kind of fruit cannot bear another kind of fruit. It's just not the way it works. It's not possible. And yet, can we be honest? It happens with Christians all the time. Because while nature is consistent, human nature is not consistent. It's inconsistent. Welcome to being human. I love the fact that James asks this question. James is one of my favorite biblical writers. James is the brother of Jesus. James has a tender heart. He loves people. He wants us to get it right. He's so practical. James, the fact that James actually believed his brother was the Messiah, that's a miracle. You know how I know that? I mean, how many of you think that your brother or sister actually has a shot at being God, right? Uh Uh-uh. You know why? Because you watched them. You lived with them. You know they're right and they're wrong. The fact that James is actually saying... Jesus is who he says he is. That's a miracle in and of itself. I love James because James is the guy at the Council of Jerusalem. A bunch of religious people get together, start making rules all over the place. James is the guy who stands up in the back of the room and goes, excuse me, can we just not make this difficult for people who are coming to Jesus? Can can we please just be consistent? I'm sure there were times when James tried to flip Jesus' switch. I mean, isn't that what brothers do, right? I did it with my sister all the time, right? See, how can I get her in trouble today, right? It was an art. It was an art, right? James, I'm sure, walked through all of that, and yet here he is asking the question, why is there such inconsistency? Here's the question for the series, the whole series. I'd like to know, I'm asking myself, I'm going to ask everybody else in the room, does your faith come with an on-off switch? I mean, I know because you're the godly people at 10 o'clock, right? Your pat answer is, no, of course not. Let's be honest. I've got a switch and you've got a switch. And so did many people from Scripture. In fact, Scripture describes people who had a switch. Let me run through a couple of them. David had the switch of lust. King of Israel was a man after God's own heart, yet he gave into lust over and over and over again. And it cost him dearly. Saul, his predecessor, had the switch of pride. Somewhere along the line, Saul began to believe all of his own press. Saul began to leave all of his own lies and it cost him his entire kingdom. The God who actually put him in charge, he pushed him aside. And when pride walked into the palace, God walked out. Noah. Noah had the switch of lack of self-control. I mean, if you read the story, Noah had the faith to follow instructions to build an ark. Nobody even knew what an ark was at that point. And yet he had the faith to do that. Then he loads up all the animals, has the faith to spend 40 days and 40 nights with his immediate family and all of animal kind on this great big boat. And a couple of days after the boat finally hits dry ground, we find Noah drunk and naked. Some of you are like, what's wrong with that? Um, I'm glad you're here. All right. Don't believe the story? Read Genesis. It's there. Moses had the switch of anger. I mean, the Bible tells us that Moses killed a man in anger. Then he beat up a rock with a stick. I mean, he snapped. That's not good. For some of you, that's your switch. You're loving Jesus all weekend long. I tick you off. Boom. 
Aaron had the switch of cowardice. I mean, Aaron was Moses' right-hand man. And while Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, Aaron gives in to the pressure that the people put on him, and he ends up participating in idolatry. He encourages the people of God to worship a cow. Not even an adult cow, a baby cow. What about Martha? Martha had the switch of busyness. Not business, busyness. Martha got all caught up in the myth that you have to be doing something in order to get God's approval. She got all wrapped up in her to-do list and her schedule, and that led her to flip the switch of injustice. She comes to Jesus, and she's like, hey, make my sister, who's just hanging around at your feet, get up and help me. Boy, was she ticked when Jesus' response was, Martha, Martha, Martha. You picked the wrong thing to get wrapped inside of. The truth is, I just switched or flipped the switch of bitterness and all the Marthas in the room because you're all sitting there going, yeah, nothing would ever get done if the Marthas didn't do it all, right? We'll get to you next week, okay? <laughs> Gideon had the switch of fear. I mean, he's hiding out in a hole and God freaks him out with a greeting. Hello, mighty warrior. <laughs> Gideon's like, Me? He's scared to death. Peter had the switch of denial. A man who claimed to know Jesus his entire life. And then when it comes down to brass tacks, a kid at a campfire says, you were with Jesus at some point, and his response is, Jesus who? How many of us said that somehow this week? Here come the questions again. What is it that transforms a man after God's own heart into a man who lusted and got caught in sexual sin over and over again? What is it that allows a king to become so full of himself that he actually loses the blessing of God? What is it that allows a man who's so filled with faith enough to build a boat, how does he exchange that faith for a bottle? What is it that allowed a man who led the people out of Egypt to lose it to the point that neither ever even gets to the promised land? What is it that allows his lieutenant to actually think it's okay for God's people to participate in idolatry when his boss is up on the top of a mountain taking dictation that says, do not make a graven image for yourself. What is it that allowed Martha to miss the truth? If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. What is it that allowed a warrior to believe he was a wimp? What was it that allowed a man who said, I will never deny you to deny Christ when it mattered most? It all stems from a reality that whether we want to admit it or not, most of our faith has an on-off switch. When we're in church, it's on. When somebody threatens us with a question that we don't know the answer to, When we're feeling the Holy Spirit in the room, it's on. Somebody gives us a disapproving look because we're praying over our meal in the office lunchroom. Suddenly we're not praying, we're just stretching our neck. When it's convenient, it's on. When it costs us something, Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to walk with the Apostle Paul through three chapters of the book of Romans. We have never delved into this book at this church in my 10 years of being here. You know why? Because it's a scary book. It's a scary book because the language in Romans is so specific, you can get it wrong. 
And I've been terrified. But you know what? I think it's time for the people of God and Grant to put on their big boy pants and let's go wade in some deep water. I also believe as a conviction that there are people in the room who don't know Jesus. You're just checking out this Christianity thing. And I want to invite you to eavesdrop on this conversation. Because I'd like to invite you into the conversation that talks about how in the world can we eliminate that word typical? Because I believe we're called to do that. We're going to hear Apostle Paul talk about his struggle with the switch. He had one in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Paul is going to be real and transparent, and we're going to be challenged to do the same. Paul's going to show up and say, the stuff I don't want to do, I find myself doing over and over and over again. And the stuff I know I'm supposed to be doing, I can't bring myself to do. I can't figure out why I'm so torn in the middle. He's going to actually make this statement. What a wretched human being I am. And we're not going to get stuck there. We're actually going to try and get to the other side of the verse that says, but thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that, my friends, is where the answer is. That's where the answer is. So I want to make sure we're clear from the outset. All we're doing is laying the table for the next couple of weeks. I want to make sure we hear this. The, the goal of this series is not behavior modification, okay? The goal of this series is not to get you to control your road rage. It's not to get you to quit surfing porn, even though that would be good. The goal is not to get you to be nice to your in-laws, which would be a miracle. The goal is not to get you to change your behavior because we all know how that goes, right? We practice Taylor Swift theology. We are never, ever, ever, and then we do. We tell ourselves, I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to do that again until we have a bad day and then we say, I'm going to do it because it makes me feel better and I'll repent later and we cheapen God's grace. We say, I'm never, ever, ever going to do that again because I went to church this morning and the Holy Spirit convicted me of this. I'm never going to do it again until the conviction slides away and Monday happens. And we end up settling right back into the same behavior again and again and again. We say, I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to do that again. But the reality is we do. When you simply modify behavior, you set yourself up for shame and disappointment because human nature is inconsistent. We get caught in that cycle. I'm so sick of this cycle in my life. Sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. How many times have I told God, I'm not going to let the letters bug me? You get the letter, right? And it's always addressed. Attention, pastor. And you open up the letter and, and inside of you, you say, I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm going to pull out the truth of what it is this person's trying to communicate to me. And I'm going to believe the best about them. And I'm going, to, I'm going to graciously receive whatever correction it is that they think they need as they sit and observe and watch. And I open the letter and I look at the end to see whether or not they actually had the guts to sign it, which very few people actually do. And then if they did sign it, I flip back to the beginning and I begin to read and I get about four words in and I think to myself, Pastor Hulk needs to smash pencil-necked Christian. <laughs> Squash. When we do behavior modification, we're just setting ourselves up. 
So the goal of the series is not behavior modification. The goal of the series is two words, Christ transformation. That's what we're after. Christ transformation. Can I just tell you something? We all think that self-help can help. Self-help can't help because self's a jerk. (laughs) Self's an idiot. I can't do this on my own. I need supernatural intervention in order to be able to try and pull this something. The only way this is going to happen is if Christ transforms and rewires this thing. All through Scripture, a phrase keeps showing up. I've been struggling with this for nine months. Welcome to my pain. Let's walk through it together. Three words from Scripture. Christ in me. Christ in me. If Christ is truly in me, which is what the Bible says, how is it that all that other stuff keeps coming out of me? How can the salty water of my own character flaws come out of the same spring that claims to flow with the living water of Jesus? I mean, am I the only person in the room that's struggling with this stuff? Am I the only guy that has that disconnect moment with just like, I'm on loving Jesus. Somebody ticks me off. Watch out. Am I the only believer in the room that gets disgusted at their own humanity? Can we just admit that the switch exists? Can we admit that we love Jesus with everything that we have and we still fail because we're human? This is a tough journey. It's a journey into the ugly part of our humanity. It's a journey to the foot of the cross where Jesus died to kill that switch. I know this week has way more questions than answers. In fact, some of you are hearing just like, are you going to give us anything good? Or we're just a whole list of questions. I hope you'll ask yourself some tough questions this week. Why does your anger get the best of you over and over again? Why does your ego trip you up over and over and over again? Why does the same mouth that praises God and prays with such eloquence walk through the door of your home and shred your spouse because they're just a convenient target right in front of you? Why do we keep going back to the same destructive behaviors over and over and over again? Why are we so quick to judge? Well, we're going to find out. And Paul's going to walk us through the fact that he says, i got to switch too. And he spent a lifetime trying to figure out what it took for Jesus to disconnect and rewire this thing. I believe if we are faithful to this message and faithful to the call of God, I believe there's actually freedom waiting for us on the other side of this one. So I want to encourage you to be faithful all the way through. I do want to encourage you today with some hope. Because the reality is for so many of us, we've tried on our own human behavior to try and change this whole thing and we're just desperately ashamed at how weak we seem to be. So let me give you some hope. The hope comes from the book of Colossians. If you were here last week, you heard me unpack Revelation chapter 3 as the last week of the vision series. I talked about the three different cities. I talked about the city of Hierapolis, which was to the north of a city called Laodicea, and how it was known for its warm mineral hot springs, and how people would go there for relief. I talked about the city of Colossae to the south of Laodicea and how it was known for its cold, ice-cold water springs that came out of the ground. And people would go there for drinking water and refreshment. And then we looked at how God said, I would either you be either hot or cold, either be 
Either be hot, like the city of Hierapolis, and be that relief for somebody who just desperately needs to know that God cares about their wounds, or be ice cold, be that refreshing cup of cold water on a long, hot day for somebody. Be that refreshment. The one thing you could be either hot or cold, the one thing you don't get to be, don't be lukewarm. God said, if you are lukewarm, he'll puke. Don't believe me, Revelation 3. It'll make him sick to his stomach. Well, we unpacked all of that, and then I finished with this statement. At Christ the King Church, may the hot become hotter and the cold become colder and the lukewarm become ever increasingly uncomfortable as we press towards all things that are Jesus. Well, this little bit of encouragement as we wrap this up today was written to the cold water church. They were the refreshers. They were the people who showed up in the midst of somebody's desert experience with a cup of cold water and would say, this is not from me, it's from Jesus. And if you drink of this living water, you will never, ever thirst again. Paul, the same guy who wrote Romans, wrote these words to the refreshingly cold water Christians of Colossae. He said, to them and to us, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I love this, for you died, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So put to death, therefore, flip the switch down, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Welcome to the incredibly hard work of allowing God to strip off all of that old stuff and to give you a brand new set of clothes. The white garments of Revelation 3 from last week. The refreshing wardrobe that allows us to walk as the people of God reflecting how beautiful Jesus is. And when we wrap, walk through this world wrapped in those particular clothes, the response that we don't get is typical. Here's your homework for next week. I know some of you are like, homework? What? Yeah, okay. We're going to deal with Romans 6, 7, and 8 over about a six-week period. It would make sense... If we're going to read Romans 6, 7, and 8, then we probably want to read Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. If I wrote you a letter, you would not start at chapter, or at paragraph 6. Would you? No, you start at the beginning, right? Dear so-and-so, and then I'd start. You read a letter from beginning to end, because that's the way a letter is supposed to be written. So why would we jump in paragraph 6 and ignore paragraphs 1 through 5? So next week, I'm going to try and do something stupid. I'm going to try and overview five entire chapters of Romans in 28 minutes. Come and watch and bring your seatbelt, okay? Should be an interesting time. But we're going to begin to hear Paul talk about the fact 
that everybody's got a switch. And he's going to talk about all the work that we need to put in to get that thing gone. Can you picture your life and how much better it might be if that thing that trips you up over and over again actually could be gone? I like that picture for me. Let's do it together. So taking off the old and putting on the new is a tough process. I believe that process is best done in community. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a work in progress. Okay, I've been a pastor for almost 25 years. I have a switch. If you don't believe me, ask my wife and my kids. It can tell you exactly what it is. I've been following Jesus for a long time. You think I'd have all this stuff figured out? I absolutely do not. That's why I have a group of guys, a group of young guys in my life that I meet with, and we do this wonderful thing called doing life together. They call it out in me when they see when I get it right. They call it out in me when they see that I've gotten it wrong. They're the first ones to say, I saw Jesus in this situation, Grant, when I, you were, that was not Jesus. When you acted that way, that was not Jesus. And together, we're learning how to do life together. It's called a small group. Let me be as subtle as I can. You need to get your backside in a small group. Is that subtle enough for everybody? My sensitivity scale was nice and high there. If you're not in a small group, you are cheating yourself out of one of the greatest opportunities to do this work because you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. You cannot experience true Christian community staring at the back of somebody else's head for 60 minutes a week. It's just not humanly possible. So let's change it. Let's change it. My prayer is that every one of us today will at some level look at how we could do this kind of work together. I believe a small group is the best way to work on this hard stuff. And what we're going to do right now is this. We're actually, we think this is so important. We're going to shut down church early and give you an opportunity to get into community. Okay? And you guys know me. I like to, I like to trickle over. I like to preach. I mean, that's just... The fact that we're going to shut this thing down, I hopefully will communicate how important we believe this is. So Pastor Todd and Pastor Kevin are going to come, and they're going to actually spend some time here today just laying out for you an opportunity that's happening in the meeting place after the service where you can actually get plugged into community. Now, I know some of you, you've been listening to this. Yeah, Grant, we're going to work on the switch, and it's, it's on, and this is so good. And then you hear the word small groups, and you're like, whatever. I tried that once. Not a good experience. Try again. Maybe the goal shouldn't be what you can get. Maybe the goal for some of you should be, what can I give hmm. to my brothers and my sisters? Yeah. So welcome to the switch. Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. I'll prepare, you pray, and together as a church, we will preach a message in this community that will not elicit the response. Typical. God bless you guys. Have a good week. Thanks, Grant.